always intimidating to preach to another pastor uh, who's uh, been faithful and, uh, and preached for many years. But uh, anyway, the Word of God is the Word of God, and uh, it never changes. So anyway, uh, glad to have him here with us today. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, sing one more song, and uh, we'll continue on with our service uh, with uh, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, 534 in your hymnal. The words will also be on the screen as well. this time uh, in our service, we have the opportunity and privilege to give and to honor the Lord with the gifts that He has given us. And of course, uh, He was the ultimate example in that, wasn't He? Uh, when He gave us His Son on the cross. And so uh, here's an opportunity for us to give back, uh, uh, to let Him know how much we love Him. Uh, so I want to uh, just mention for those who are visiting with us today, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for visiting with us. Don't feel like you have to participate in this uh, in this part of the service, unless, of course, the Lord wants you to. And in case I want, in that case, I want you to be obedient to Him. But um, uh, but we didn't invite you here so that we could ask you for money. Uh, we just want this service to be our gift to you. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to uh, serve you and minister to you in any way we can. Uh, so, uh, but uh, for those who uh, do call this church home, uh, then I want to encourage you to be faithful in your tithes and offerings. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then uh, we will uh, continue on with uh, the offering. Lord, we do thank you so much for the opportunity to give now, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless the gift and the giver, and that you would uh, make this, uh, take this gift and multiply it and use it to reach people here in, 
in Moore and the surrounding area, and Lord, uh, throughout the whole world, uh, through our missionaries. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, as we mentioned in, in the rest of this service now, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that. Well, if you would at this time take your Bible, if you have one, and uh, turn it to the Gospel of Mark, Mark in chapter number three, making our way through this Gospel. And I hope that you're learning some things and uh, maybe seeing some things in a different light or maybe in a little more detail than than the normal as you're just reading through it. Um, hopefully. This has been an encouragement and a blessing to you as we've been looking at the life of Christ through the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3, and uh, as you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, if you're able to do so. Um, Mark chapter number 3, and we're going to read 
I'm actually just going to read verse, verses 1 through 6, but I do plan to go all the way down through verse number 12 uh, this morning. Uh, Mark chapter number 3, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says this, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about them, round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for this service thus far, for the great job the children did, and uh, for our wonderful uh, people in our church who faithfully serve Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday night, and uh, Lord, just uh, invest in these um, in this ministry, Lord, that you've called them to, and I just thank you for them. Lord, now as we again turn, your, turn our attention now to the life of Christ, I pray, Lord, that you'd remove distraction from our hearts and minds and that we would focus in on what you'd have for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. May be, sa- may be seated. Uh, today, as we continue our study of the life of the serving Savior through the book of Mark, we come to more drama. And this drama takes place once again on the Sabbath day. And so I called this more Sabbath day drama. Now, I've had my share of drama experience in my life. Uh, Let me explain. In high school, I actually took three years of drama class. I did this not because I thought I was going to have a future in acting, uh, but really, I did it so that I would overcome my fear of public speaking. Because at that time of my life, if I ever was called to go and give a speech in a class or to speak to a group of people, I mean, it was bad. My fear was intense. So I thought, I've got to overcome this. Uh, I know that maybe taking drama would help me because I'm forced to have to get up in front and act and and, uh, get up in front of people on a regular basis. So I took three years of drama class. Um, Now, the truth is, I never really did all that well as an actor. Uh, There's a reason that I'm preaching and not acting, okay? Um, And I'm not even great at preaching either, but uh, I think I'm better at preaching than I am at acting. But it did help me, though, uh, with my fear of speaking in front of people because, look, I'm doing this right now, and uh, I don't have hives, uh, so that's a good thing. Um, But uh, I've... I've uh, also used this experience, these three years of drama, in the ministry many, many times. Um, I've been involved in various skits throughout the years. In fact, even here at Cornerstone, my wife and I have been involved in a couple skits at the Kumpel's Banquets. 
and uh, we always forget our lines, and that becomes the funniest part of the whole skit. Uh, but uh, anyway, we've been, in, as a youth pastor, I actually directed several skits and small dramas that we did for youth rallies that uh, we hosted uh, there in California. But one thing with each drama that I learned is that you need to have a cast of characters. And uh, today in the drama here, more drama that took place on the Sabbath day, uh, there's also a cast of characters. And uh, the cast of characters in the drama that we just read about included a man with a withered hand uh, that wasn't able to really do a lot because his hand was all uh, withered up and, and shriveled up, was unable to use it. So there was a man that uh, had a withered hand. There was a group of Pharisees. There was a lot of extras that we don't know their names, but they were uh, definitely on stage as well. And of course, the star of the show himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one difference with this drama as opposed to all other dramas that I've ever been a part of is that uh, this was no acting. Uh, this was real life. This actually happened. And uh, today we're going to look at the drama that took place uh, during this drama. Okay, um, so uh, let's look at let's look at this and, and break this uh, passage down here. First of all, we're going to see that there was the trap on the Sabbath. There was a trap that took place. Uh, verse number one says, he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there with which had a withered hand. And then verse two says, they watched him and we're going to learn who this is. This is the Pharisees. Uh, verse two and six are the connection there. Um, verse six tells us who the they was. Um, but verse two, these Pharisees were watching him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. Now, J. Vernon McGee, who's uh, much smarter than I was, or am, uh, says this in his commentary, or in his commentary on this passage, firmly believes that the Pharisees had actually planted this man with the withered hand there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day as a trap to try to uh, see whether Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day. Now, uh, I don't know that you can make that a dogmatic statement. That's a very likely scenario. Uh, but regardless of whether that was intentional or not, there was a man there with a withered hand, and they thought, this is an opportunity to trap Jesus again on the Sabbath. Now, uh, to reverse a little bit and say this, uh, last Sunday we talked about that there was already controversy brewing regarding the Sabbath day uh, scenario. In chapter 2, the way chapter 2 ends, there was a misunderstanding, confusion regarding the Sabbath day. Uh, remember the disciples were walking in the cornfields. They plucked some corn and they ate that corn. And uh, they began to, the, the, the Pharisees began to accuse uh, and, and ask Jesus why they did that on the Sabbath day. How dare they? And then Jesus rebuked them and explained some of the things there regarding the, the Sabbath. Well, chapter 3 begins with more Sabbath day drama, as I mentioned, with this trap that, again, whether it was intentional or not, it was set. And uh, the Pharisees uh, definitely looked at it as a trap. And, and what, would he, what would he do with this trap? Well, I'll never forget a time in California uh, when we lived there that uh, when we had a mouse living in our garage. How many have ever had that happen to you? Yeah, not, not, a, not a great scenario. Um, 
and, and the sad part is this mouse wasn't even paying rent. I mean, how, how dare they? I mean, what a freeloader, you know? I mean, if it was paying rent, that'd be one thing, but it wasn't. Um, and we started hearing him scurry in the garage when we'd come in and turn on the lights uh, at night. You know, you, you'd hear like, you know, these little, and, and sometimes it'd, it'd run by like a plastic bag or something, and, and you'd hear it. And then, and then we started, I mean, we, we kind of suspected, but then we started seeing little evidences that he was there, okay? And I'll let you fill in the blank on what I mean by evidences there. So it was definitely time to set a trap and to get this pest out of the garage. So I went to uh, Walmart and got a couple mouse traps, and we put some, I had, I had Julie put some peanut butter on, the, on that trigger plate, you know, and because uh, I heard that, that that's better than cheese. Um, and so we got some peanut butter and put that on there, and I, I set them near the areas where I saw those evidences that they had been there. And then I forgot about it. Well, then that night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was kind of like, you know, not, not like in deep sleep, but just light sleep. Um, and then I heard this loud snap from the garage. And it, it kind of startled me. I woke up. I, did, I didn't open my eyes, but I, I kind of woke up, and I'm like, what was that? There was a... And then it hit me. And then I opened my eyes, and I smiled. I said... <laughs> We got that turkey. We got that, we got that booger. He's out of here. And I was like, you know, we'll get him in the morning. And I, I went back to sleep. And uh, sure enough, in the morning, uh, I, I found him. Uh, I think Julie slept through that whole thing, which is amazing to me. A mom slept through that. Um, she's got those mom ears that, like, wake up over anything. But uh, then I, I, I called the family over in the morning and, and had them look at it and... and uh, all the boys were all interested in looking at it, but, but Faith and, 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 and Julie were, were kind of freaking out and like, ew, that's, I don't want to see that dead mouse. But I was like, victory, you know. We got this mouse. It, it fell for the trap. And those Pharisees were, were, were hoping that Jesus would fall into this trap. I mean, seeing this man with the withered hand playing on Jesus' compassion, because he has such great compassion, they thought, oh, he's going to do it on the Sabbath day, and we're going to nail him. And so they were kind of, you know, standing, waiting, like I was for that mouse, you know, coming, I'm just waiting for him to fall into it, and then I'm going to smile and say, got him. <laughs> well, the Pharisees, that's how they uh, approached this particular Sabbath day, as, as this man with the withered hand was there. And uh, they, they do not have pure intentions, these Pharisees. And, and uh, sadly, of course, in this world, even those with religious views sometimes do not have the best intentions uh, regarding us as well as uh, regarding, regarding those who want to follow the truth. They are set out to make us look bad. And uh, as time goes on here in America, and I think this is going to become a, an ongoing issue uh, where they're going to try to set us up to trap us in our words, and uh, pray for wisdom, pray for us to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents uh, as we continue to get the truth out into, our, uh, into this world. Well, evidently, these Pharisees believed that it was wrong for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath day. But obviously, it was okay for them 
to set this trap and to make accusations against the Lord Jesus. That was allowed on the Sabbath, but not doing something good and healing on the Sabbath. So what does Jesus do? He understands the situation. He understands uh, the scenario that he's in. Well, here's what he does in verse number 3. It says, He saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. It would be like if, if I said to, uh, to Julie, Julie, come on up to the platform. You don't have to actually do it. But it would call her out of the crowd and put her up in front of everybody else. It's basically what Jesus did with this man with the withered hand. So that there was no mistaking what he was about to do. Then Jesus asks a very powerful question as this man with the withered hand comes and stands before the crowd. Verse number four. Is it lawful? Now notice who he's saying this to. Is he saying this to the man with the withered hand? No. He's saying it to these Pharisees who are waiting for him to fall into this trap that has been set for Jesus. So he says to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And notice their response at the end of verse number four. Mark simply records, but they held their peace. Uh, There's no arguing that question. There's really no appropriate response but what they said there. Nothing. So there was a trap set for him on the Sabbath. Then I want us to see number two in this drama that takes place on the Sabbath day. Uh, we see the temper of the Savior. So as they held their peace, look at verse number five. When he had looked round about on them with, what's that next word? Anger. Being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. So the Bible says here that he looked round about them with anger. The the countenance of our Savior changed, and there was definite anger in his eyes. It it was written all over his face as he looked at these Pharisees. There was was obvious anger coming from his his eyes and his face. Maybe you, like me, remember your mom giving you that look. Uh, I absolutely remember my mom giving me that uh, look of anger as I was... uh, being mean to my little brother, Mike. And she would just look at me, and she didn't need to say anything. It was just that, that look was enough, you know. It was like, okay, I better stop, you know. She had that mom look. Now, you remember John Mark, he's the human author of this gospel, but he wasn't, as we already mentioned, he wasn't an eyewitness to what happened here. He was hearing it from someone else, and that someone else was... Most definitely and probably, um, I, every, every Bible scholar seems to think that it was uh, the Apostle Peter who imparted the truth uh, that uh, Mark uh, recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark. So I can imagine Peter at this point saying, okay, yeah, we were in the, uh, we were in the synagogue, there was a man with a withered hand there, a bunch of Pharisees around, and then Jesus looked at those Pharisees, but... The way he looked at them, there was real anger uh, coming from Jesus. 
And uh, Mark, as you, as you write this, make sure you put that in there. Don't leave that out because he was angry. I felt it. I mean, everybody in the room felt it. And so he, Mark does record that when Jesus looked at those Pharisees, he deliberately, and it probably wasn't just kind of like glossing over, it was probably looking in the eyes of every one of those Pharisees and saying, making eye contact, and he looked at them with real anger. Now, obviously, we know and are familiar with the emotion of love that God has. We enjoy hearing about God's amazing love and the fact that God is love. But, but we also cannot forget that God also displays anger as well. Jesus here in this account, in this account, was angry. He showed also tremendous anger at the temple, remember, as he turned over those tables and drove out the money changers? He was angry with the scribes and Pharisees, again, in Matthew chapter number 23, as he called them names. He called them hypocrites. You know how many times he called them hypocrites in Matthew chapter 23? The number of completions, seven times. Uh, Jesus... Uh, was angry. In the Old Testament, we see God also displaying and expressing anger as well. In Psalm 7 and verse number 11, the Bible says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Say, so I, I thought God loves us. He does, but there is a righteous anger that God has as well. Ephesians Four in verse number 26, we're called as believers to be ye angry. But then it also says, and sin not. And then it goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I know some Christians, as they read Mark chapter 3 and verse number 5, and they see Jesus displaying some anger, they go, oh, so this means it's okay then to have my anger outbursts at home? It means that this gives me permission to continue yelling at my spouse and my children, right? Look, anger is okay when it's directed at the right thing. But when it's directed at people. Now, Jesus was angry because their hearts were hardened and their blindness, the blindness of their hearts... We need to be careful as things irk us and trigger this anger in our hearts and lives that it does not turn into sin. Remember, Paul said, be angry and sin not. There's things that we can be angry about. I'm not exactly pleased with the month of June here in America, where everybody in America thinks that this is a time to flaunt their perversion and wicked lifestyle. I'm not exactly happy about that. But to allow that then to cause me to get bitterness in my heart, there, there needs to be a point where that ceases then to be anger, angry. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. When you're angry with someone, my wife and I get into a spat, and I become not so happy with her. Okay? This is an example, all right? You'll have to use your imagination. Okay, maybe it happens from time to time, okay, because we have a normal marriage. Um, 
we're not to let the sun go down upon our wrath. In other words, we're not to let this linger and let days go by, weeks go by, years go by, and it never gets settled. God says here to let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, deal with it quickly. If you get angry with somebody in your home, at work, at the church, deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down. Don't wait till tomorrow. Deal with it immediately. Because if we don't, the very next verse says, neither give place to the devil. See, what happens is when we don't deal with it, then the devil comes and he gets to come inside. And he goes and sits down and says, hey, don't mind me. I'm just going to sit here for a little while. You go ahead and you give place to the devil. And every time we allow ourselves to get angry and stay angry, then uh, we open ourselves up to his presence in our life. Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 and verse number 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. What a great verse. I'm going to read that again. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says that. In Proverbs 29 and verse 22, A angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. I realize there's a lot of people who would say, you know, well, that's just how God made me. I just get mad. Okay, that's how you are as a sinner. God desires to make you not angry, not mad all the time. God wants to change us. So yes, Jesus does display some anger here. And by the way, uh, as I say here, the temper of the Savior, Jesus did not lose his temper. It was always under perfect control. You and I are guilty of losing our temper from time to time. Uh, but Jesus did not. So here's what Jesus did. He looked, about, looked round about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He saith unto the man, here's what he does. Stretch forth thine hand. He says, I know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to go, he's doing it. He's healing on the Sabbath day. I knew he would do this. But he does call for this man to stretch forth his hand. And the Bible says, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as the other. So he performed this miracle. He healed on the Sabbath day. And in defiance to their rules and regulations, Jesus calls the man to stretch forth his hand. Well, what, what do these Pharisees do as a result of this? Were they going, oh, well, that was really a blessing that he did that. That's not what he said. That's not how they reacted. Verse number six, the Pharisees went forth, straightway took counsel with the Herodians, who, by the way, who were their enemies. The Pharisees and the Herodians did not get along. The Herodians were more political and the Pharisees were more religious. And they did not get along, but the Pharisees went and said, hey, we need to, we need to 
conspire with the Herodians here. The Herodians, by the way, were the ones responsible for removing the head of John the Baptist. And so they thought, hey, we'll go to him, we'll go to them, and they might help us learn and uh, find a way to get rid of Jesus. To, the Bible says, how they might destroy him. So the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to conspire together to destroy the Creator God. Good luck with that. If you would, for just a quick moment, if you would turn in your Bible to, we'll be back here in, uh, to Psalm 2. We'll be back in Mark 3 in a moment. Psalm 2. It's pretty ridiculous to think that they could destroy Jesus Christ. Especially considering who he is. Psalm 2, I want us to look here and... and Because uh, what happened with these Pharisees as they went to against Jesus and tried to destroy him was exactly what we find in Psalm 2. Verse number 1, Psalm 2, 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Okay, Pharisees and Herodians taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords from us. Here's, what, here's the, the Lord's response to it in verse number four. I love it. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous to think that they could destroy the Lord. It would be like, you know, uh, we're, we're coming up to summertime. And if it ever stops raining, some of you might get to enjoy some picnics during this summer. One thing that is present during uh, picnics is ants. Uh, they like to come and, and uh, try to take your food and all that. Well, imagine you're sitting there at a picnic and, and there's, there's a group of ants and, and somehow God for a moment gives you the ability to understand ant language. And you all of a sudden hear them say, all right, we're going we're gonna to take out this guy so that we can eat all of his food. We're going to form a coalition together, and we're going to overthrow this guy. We're going to kill him. And you look at that, and you go, are you kidding me? You guys are just a bunch of little ants. Are you serious? Like, all I have to do is just smash you, and you're gone. So for these Pharisees and these Herodians to conspire to take out Jesus Christ, it's, it's kind of like, we're going to get you, big guy. And he's like, seriously, this is the best you got? Smash. That's the power that Jesus had. And, of course, he eventually did succumb to a conspiracy of sorts as Judas did uh, betray the Lord Jesus. But it was not because he was forced or his hand was forced at all. No, the Bible says his hour had come and he was ready and he voluntarily uh, gave himself to go to the cross. It wasn't because he was forced to. It wasn't because these people uh, forced his hand. Absolutely not. So it's just kind of silly to me that they would think that they could do this. But they were so blinded and hearts were so hardened that they thought that they could. And so they tried. And so we see here the temper 
of the Savior. But then number three, I want us to see very quickly as we wrap this up today, the turbulence by the sea. What happens there with Jesus after this takes place? The Pharisees go and they start their conspiracy. Verse 7 says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea, Judea and from Jerusalem, and from uh, Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, uh, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they had pressed upon him for to touch him as many as plagues. And unclean spirits, when they had sought, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. So first we see in this turbulence that there was a tremendous multitude that came to see him there at the Sea of Galilee. Yes, there was people that were angry with him. Yes, there were people that uh, misunderstood him. Yes, there were people that were hard, or their hearts were hardened. But there were a whole host of people who had open hearts to what Jesus was doing and what he was teaching. And so many came. His fame began really spreading like wildfire to regions really way beyond Capernaum, which is where he, he was in this, in this uh, beginning part of chapter 3. His fame extended to all of Galilee, then to Judea, Galilee, Judea, and, um, and uh, these areas, Galilee and Judea, would be equivalent to our modern-day counties, um, like Cleveland County, Oklahoma County. What county do you guys live in again? McGrady County, County, and then uh, there's also McLean County, is that right? That's where you guys live, right? Amen. He's representing McLean County over here, okay? Well, so it would be like, you know, people coming from all over, all over the, all over different counties of Oklahoma coming uh, to this area to, to meet Jesus. So the news began to go viral, so much so that people came from all over to see him and learn more about him. And uh, as I thought about that, you know, it wasn't like they got in their, you know, nice air-conditioned, you know, luxury BMW uh, to go to Jesus. There was some effort that took place to come learn about Christ. As I think about that, I was thinking, you know, in, in our culture, we want everything to be convenient and comfortable. But back in those days, there was an interest in learning about Jesus and a willingness to sacrifice and a willingness to say, hey, we're going to do what it takes to go see Jesus. I want to just encourage us to remember to uh, not to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to do things that aren't comfortable for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Um, and, and these people were willing to do that. They were willing to go to great lengths to get to Jesus. Well, so many people came to him that Jesus took the step to secure a boat. In verse number 9, um, as he saw this great multitude coming, he was like, I better, better do something here. He spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. You say, well, Jesus and water, don't you think he could have probably done a couple things with that water if he needed to? Um, we know in the Old Testament what he did with water. He divided the water. He was able, he would have been able to, you know, like the Red Sea, the party of the Red, he could have parted uh, the Sea of Galilee there. He could have done that. 
What else did he do with water? Well, he was one of only two people in all of history to walk on water. He could have said, well, you, you can go ahead and throng me, but I mean, it'd be, it'd be just like, you know, if there was just a bunch of people here and this is the, this is the lake here, it'd, it'd be just so much that it's like, oh no, I'm in, I'm in the water. And he could have just walked backwards on water. You know, Jesus never did miracles for himself, did he? Uh, he did them to obviously reveal the glory of God and uh, to uh, prove his message was true and to prove who he was, but not to protect himself. And so in this case, he decided that a small ship should be brought, um, and so they did. I remember uh, when I was on staff in California, we had... Uh, I haven't been around a lot of celebrities, even though I was in Southern California. There were a lot of celebrities that lived in Southern California. Um, Kobe Bryant, by the way, um, after we left, ended up uh, coming to our church several different times to use the gym that we had there. Um, and uh, that was kind of neat. And, and uh, the friends that I had still on staff there would post pictures of, of them and Kobe. And I'm like, man, why did I have to leave? That would have been, been kind of cool, you know. Able to chan a chance to witness to him, you know, and and uh, and obviously he was uh, uh, a good basketball player. But uh, we did have one celebrity that came through our church, um, and we, because she had a good testimony, and I've shared her testimony in, in in our church. Her name is Kim Fook, and she was the girl in the picture uh, that that famous picture that was taken during the Vietnam War that was used as a. Uh, she was a nine-year-old girl that had her clothes burned off by a napalm bomb. Uh, many of you may remember that picture. Well, Kim Fook has now grown up, become a Christian, and is a tremendous example of forgiveness um, for what took place to her. Uh, a good portion of her body has been burned and has scars and has had multiple surgeries. Well, we invited her on the 40th anniversary of when that photo was taken. Um, and uh, so we invited her to come and and uh, we tried to let every news outlet we know, know about it so that people would come and ultimately hear the gospel, get saved. We wanted to use it as an evangelistic outreach. And uh, I was really kind of the guy in charge of that day. And, um, and so I was in charge of all the media and where they could be and where they, the different interviews that they wanted to have. Everybody wanted to have an interview with Kim. And, and uh, we had to kind of schedule those out and, and say no to a lot of people. And then after the service, everybody wanted to go and see Kim. And uh, we had the, the highest attendance at that time that the church had ever had. And uh, that, was, that was a real special day for us. Um, but I remember trying to keep people and, and to keep some distance between Kim and everybody coming up to her, trying to get her autograph and all that stuff. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was quite a, it was quite a day. And so as Jesus, he just has the wisdom, of course. He knows what's coming as all these multitudes of people coming, going, I, I want to, he's afraid that he's going to get, not afraid, but he's, uh, lest, he should, lest they should throng him and him and his disciples have to go into the lake and we're, they run out of room. They run out of real estate. So they got this little boat. Um, and then let's pick it up in verse number 11. So 
as these, there's people there with all kinds of diseases and plagues, but then there's also uh, people there with unclean spirits, demon-possessed people. And when these demon-possessed people saw, or when these spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And obviously that's the right testimony, is it not? But verse 12, it's interesting, he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Uh, yes, that is the right testimony, that is the truth, but he just wasn't wanting these unclean spirits to be the one giving that information out. Now, this was a true testimony, but Jesus did not want to hear it from them, but he does want to hear it from us. He does want us sharing the testimony with others, and we have been given a voice. Let's use it. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, if you're one of the very few people in the country that does not know, June is Pride Month here in America. And I, like you, have seen almost every national brand name change their logo to reflect the LGBT, LGBTQ plus flag in the last several days. They are willing to boldly declare their allegiance to those who pervert God's design for the family. They have a voice, and they're more than willing to make their thoughts known and heard. And yet we Christians are sitting quietly by. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that we go on a public rampage about the ills of this wicked movement, though we could. What I am saying is that we as believers are to be bold as a lion in declaring the testimony that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Now, obviously, these unclean spirits were not the appropriate vessels to be declaring that truth. But, but, but the, later on, in the new after Jesus dies and, and uh, ascends up to heaven, he's given us as, as believers that responsibility to be that voice, to be the ones who are crying out, Jesus is the Son of God. Paul said it this way in Romans 1 and verse number 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is high time, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that we as believers come out of our spiritual closets and boldly preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, we got to stop letting the world be the loudest voices. You and I have a voice. Uh, these unclean spirits, the Bible says, uh, cried. This was, a, this was a loud voice saying, Thou art the Christ, or Thou art the Son of God. And uh, the world is using their voice to promote their wickedness. Uh, let's, as believers, use our voice to promote the gospel. Uh, Jesus wasn't going to tolerate the unclean spirits to give that testimony, but He does desire it to hear from us. Look, we don't need more politicians. I, I'm thankful for every uh, Christian politician and, and those who are trying to make a difference in politics. But, but, but the answer for this country is not in politics. But the answer for this country is for the people in this room to be the salt and light in our community. That's what's going to make the difference, to get the gospel out. And so there we see some turbulent time there by the sea and with the multitudes coming and and potentially thronging Jesus. And then there was a bunch of unclean spirits that were crying out. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not the ones that need to be doing that. Uh, 
the people in this room need to be doing that. And so we see uh, more drama, more Sabbath day drama. And uh, these, these Pharisees, it's just really beginning. But what, what should we, what are our takeaways this morning? Obviously, we've hit on a lot of different things. Uh, most of all, look, friend, if, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, God does indeed love you. Uh, he loves you so much that he went to the cross to die in your place. And so that you don't have to spend eternity in a place called hell, which we all deserve. But so you can spend eternity in a place called heaven. And uh, he's asking you to receive him. Uh, yeah, a lot of people do reject him, as we've talked about in our culture today. A lot of people are rejecting Christ and, and uh, re- rejecting the things of God's word, calling it hate speech. Uh, this is the truth of God's word. It's not hate speech. But uh, they're re-terming it as hate speech. There's a lot of people who are rejecting Christ, but those who receive him, the Bible says, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so I would encourage you, if you have never believed on Christ, to make the greatest decision of your life to place your faith and trust in him. And then understand as believers, just like Jesus faced opposition, you and I, if we're going to do and live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer some persecution along the way. And uh, it doesn't really take uh, a real uh, smart person to really understand that that's pretty close to happening here in America. Um, we see it already happening in Canada, and uh, there's going to probably come down here very soon. It's very likely. Um, so these Pharisees, they haven't gone anywhere. They just have different terms and different titles. And uh, they're still after us, seeking to destroy us. Uh, we need to stay faithful. And then, of course, we need to be the loud voice that he is calling us to be in this Dark, dark world. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as we've looked at this day of drama that took place there on that Sabbath, way back in Mark chapter 3, Lord, help us to learn the lessons from this particular passage and help us to apply these truths. I pray most of all, most importantly, Lord, if there's one here today that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, never believed on on you for salvation. May today be that day for them. And then, Father, for those of us who have made that wonderful decision, help us, Lord, to be a bright and shining light. Help us, Lord, with our life and with our lips to boldly declare the truth that you love them and that you save and you are the only way. And, Lord, help us to be faithful in spite of persecution that perhaps is coming. And, Lord, help us... Uh, to have wisdom and uh, discernment and uh, boldness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the pianist to play through on this next song. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a a time of prayer, a time of decision right there in your seat. And and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll sing a verse of this.